All right. I'm going to invite you to turn or to find on your device Romans chapter 8 today. Romans chapter 8. And uh, this is, Romans chapter 8 is one of, and, and I don't mean to uh, downplay any other passage of Scripture, so please don't misunderstand me when I say this. But I personally feel that Romans 8 is one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 8 talks about the Spirit of God uh, constantly, all through, the, all through the chapter. And I've chosen just four verses for us to look at, but these few verses pack quite a punch for us here today, and I'm anxious to share this with you. I'm in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to begin in verse 31. And the title of my message is simply this, no one, no one, no one. Paul, as he is going through, in fact, I, I think several years ago I did a series on Romans chapter 8, and we found like seven or eight sermons just from this chapter. And, and Paul goes through uh, a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, preaching and teaching on the role that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. And then he takes this short section here, and he, he finds himself asking a number of questions that should be rhetorical. When I say that, they, they, they should be the kind of question that should not have to be answered. But... Uh, there are certain stages in our lives where I find our, we find ourselves saying, uh, Lord, is this really you? Lord, what about this? How about that? How many of you have times where you've had some serious questions that maybe you shouldn't have, but you've had them in your life? Or, or is it just me? It's just me. Okay, that's great. So, okay. So this message is for me. And you just take what you can get. But Romans 8.31 starts us on there. And his answer to all of these questions is simply, no one. Let me show you what I mean. If you're able to, would you uh, stand with me in honor of God's word? We're on Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And if you don't have a Bible near you, you can follow along on the screen. And we'll have the verses for you. Now, for today, I'm in one of my favorite translations. That's the New Living Translation. And some of you would like that as well. So uh, follow along with me, if you will. Starting in verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is so powerful. But I pray now, Lord God, as we uh, 
look at it together. I ask you that your word would just come alive and speak to us, Lord God. Speak to our hearts, speak to our lives, and God, I pray we'd walk out of here closer to you than we've ever been before. And Lord, I'll thank you for what you do. And it's in your name, Jesus, and we all said amen. 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 You may be seated. So again, in this incredible chapter in the Bible, probably my favorite chapter in the Bible, Paul gives us a series of questions. We just read them. He gives us some important questions for us to be reminded of. He gives us some things for us to consider. And as Paul gives us these important questions, I want you to understand that they all relate to something that we, I believe, tend to struggle with at different times in our lives. And no matter how long you've been uh, serving Jesus, no matter how long you've been doing this thing, there are going to be moments where we're going to have these questions. There's going to be these moments where maybe doubts will come. Let's, let's, let's be honest, sometimes the enemy loves to whisper some lies to us. How many of you know what I'm saying? And again, uh, we, we, we talked about lies versus the truth last week and how uh, the, the enemy, his whole native language is nothing but lying. His whole native language is nothing but, but telling untruths and distorting what the Word of God truly is. And so sometimes these moments come up and Paul even asks these questions and they all relate to different areas of our life. I want to give you three of them today. And I want to simply answer the fact that when we look at these questions, the answer is the title to this message, no one. So let me show you what I mean. First of all, Paul asks a question related to our struggle. Our struggle. How many of you have ever had some difficulties and struggles in your life? Can you say amen? Amen. And here we are. We find ourselves in the midst of our struggle. And Paul makes some interesting statements about those times that we face difficulty and those times that we face trial. How many of you know that when you ask Jesus into your heart, all of your problems did not immediately go away? Right? Okay. So we have struggles. So what do we do with those times that our struggles come up? Look what Paul says in in Romans 8. 31 and 32. He says this. What shall... Ooh, what happened here? Did I lose my screen? Okay, that's awesome. Okay. Hey, I'll go old school, folks. That's fine with me. I can... That's fine. You know, there, did, can you believe there's a time that we wrote sermons without graphics? Did you know that? We did. It was pretty awesome, yeah. So I'm just going to read this, and you, uh, you listen to this, okay? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Listen to this. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Who can be against you? No one. No one. 
if God is for you, church, who can be against you? No one. No one. In fact, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Here's what we need to constantly remind ourselves of. You ready? That no matter what comes our way, no matter what difficulty hits us, God is always greater. He's always greater. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes our struggle seems so huge and sometimes our battle, and welcome everybody, we are glad you're here today. <laughs> sometimes our battle and our struggle are so huge that we can't see God. Let me say that again. Sometimes our battle is so huge that we fail to see where God is because our struggle seems enormous. And the question to ask is this, what do we see more, the size of our struggle or the size of our God? And it's so easy to see the size of our struggle because our God is invisible. So our focus is on what we see rather than our focus being on what is unseen. And we being earthly, natural people, right? We focus on, we see on the natural, earthly side of things. And then, then the struggle happens. And then the battle comes. There's a story during World War II of a passenger ship, a passenger ship that set sail from Great Britain and they headed to New York City. The captain of the ship was afraid. Remember, this is during World War II. This was a civilian boat. The captain of the civilian boat was afraid that enemy uh, vessels would attack their ship. The admiral of the boat calmly assured the captain that no matter what happens, just to go straight ahead. Don't take any shortcuts. Don't do anything strange or different. Just go straight ahead. There was a heavy fog that came in. It made visibility absolutely impossible to the natural eye. But the admiral still held on to the advice that was given to him. Just go straight ahead. Don't take any shortcuts. Don't do anything strange. Just stay, stay the course. The boat finally got to New York City. And as they docked there at the port, it was then as the fog began to lift that the crew looked behind them only to see the mighty boat, the man of war, had been behind them the entire time. And even if an attack took place or was attempted, it would have failed because of who was there 
in their presence the whole time. Now, they couldn't see the man of war. They had no idea. They could not feel his presence. But his presence made a difference. All that boat had to do was stay the course. Church, your struggle might be huge. And your battle that you're facing right now might be overwhelming. And we are not here to minimize what you're facing. But I refuse, I say this a lot, but I refuse to maximize what you're facing. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? The answer is no one. No one. And you may not, huh, you may not sense his presence. You might not see his presence. But trust me when I tell you, his presence is very real. And he is protecting you. So don't you dare take a shortcut. And don't you dare get off course spiritually. Stay the course. Don't uh, falter. Don't mess this up. You just stay the course. God will get you through where you need to go. If God is for us, who could be against us? The answer is no one. Psalm chapter 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? <laughs> I love that. Those of you who are intimidated by other people, God's for you. Your battle might be, you might think that your battle is wrapped up in the person that you have to work with or work for every day. Church, what can mere man do to you when God is for you? Well, he might fire me. God still got you. Well, they, she might do this. God still got you. I said, God still got you. Psalm 27, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 27, verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is for you, who can be against you? No one. No one. Today, if you're struggling, understand that God is bigger than your struggle. God is bigger than your struggle. Secondly today, Paul not only asked a question in, related, in relation to our struggle, but he also asked a question in relation to our standing with Jesus. <laughs> Look at verse 33. Paul says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own, no one, no one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Let me talk to some people, and I know it's not you, but let me talk to some people that maybe have made a few mistakes along the way.
And we somehow think that our mistakes are bigger than God. That our sin is greater than His grace. We don't say that. But we sometimes believe it. Sometimes we are harder to forgive ourselves than it is for Jesus to forgive us. In fact, I would tell you, it's quite easy for Jesus to forgive you now. He did all the work for you on the cross. Oh, I said he did all the work for you on the cross. And here's the deal. Jesus has set you free, not only from your sin, but from the guilt of your sin. And I want you to separate the two for a second here, because oftentimes we are good with him. I don't know what happened to my voice there, but we are good with him. It's a Peter Brady moment, those of you who grew up and I did. <laughs> Got a bigger laugh than I thought it would. Uh, but, but oftentimes we, we are fine with him forgiving us of our sin, Right? Because we know that sin separates us from God. And we know that sin will keep us from right relationship with God. And so we're good. We're saying, okay, God, thank you so much for forgiving me of my sin. But then, then there's the guilt and the shame that comes with our sin. And we somehow compartmentalize God's forgiveness and God's work on the cross. And we somehow think that he just takes care of the sin part, but he doesn't deal with the shame and all the other stuff that comes with it. And I'm here to tell you that God not only frees you from your sin, but he wants to free you from the shame and the guilt. And this is where the enemy really tries to mess with us. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a peace that is made with God. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't want to know what you've done. I'm good. I got enough baggage of my own. <laughs> but here's what I know. That if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But he doesn't stop there because for me, sometimes the residue of my sin is that shame. It's like smoke damage. If you've ever had smoke get in your house, okay, you can put out the fire. Say, like, like if you lit the fireplace and forgot to open the flue. You ever do that? We have. I have. And so smoke comes in. It's like, oh, put out the fire. Okay, fire's out. Great. But guess what? He got smoke in the house. Then he got that, you know, that funk that's all over your house because... Smoke got in. And that funk, that residue, that's the shame that we deal with. We ask God to put out the fire, but we, we need to understand that God also takes away 
the residue. I got a picture of an elephant on the screen. So my third point, no, I'm kidding. Uh, this is a circus elephant. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a circus elephant. Now, if you've ever been to the circus, you've probably seen something like this, okay? Yeah, you know, the, the elephants, they kind of do their thing, and they... What's interesting, though, is that that beast, and I'm talking about the one on the left, not on the right, but that, <laughs> see, now that was funny, that was gold, but Peter Brady makes you guys erupt with laughter, uh, but that elephant has the ability, first of all, to squash that dude, and not only that, but to charge into the stands and just carnage everywhere. Okay, <laughs> looks like a South American soccer game, and just just destroy the place. Okay, but they're trained. They're they they are trained to keep from moving. They are trained with a heavy chain or a, a, like a band around their foot, their ankle, of those massive legs. And they are so, don't miss this, they are so accustomed to that chain being around their feet that they assume when they go to perform that it's still around them and they don't move. May I suggest to you that for so many people who try to follow Jesus with all their might, there is a chain around their ankle. And that chain, it's not your sin. I mean, it might be. But that chain very well could be the residue of guilt and shame that keeps you from moving forward spiritually. And you could do some pretty amazing things if you would just be released and realize you've been released from that chain because you have. Jonathan sang it earlier, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So we have been set free from the guilt and the shame of our sin. And the enemy would like to accuse you. Did you know that that is his natural disposition for you? Is to be an accuser? You're not really forgiven. I'm going to touch on that, Lord willing, next week. You're, you're not really forgiven. You're, you're not really good. You're, you're not cured. You're not this. You're not that. You're not, just lies, lies, accusing, lies, lies, lies. And, and Paul says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? And the answer for that is, no one. No one. Friend, you've not only been set free from your sin, you have been set free from the guilt. And you have been set free from the shame. 
Paul talks about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And he says, love does not dishonor others. It, does not, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. But look at the last phrase. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So God doesn't keep receipts. I should say that again on this side of the table. God doesn't keep receipts. I've met people who keep receipts. Have you met them? Oh, remember what you did seven years ago? Gotcha. And they've been keeping that thing in their pocket for how long? God's not that way. He's not that way. Because God is the embodiment of love. First John tells us that God is love. So every description that you have in 1 Corinthians 13 of love is actually a description of your God. And God keeps no record of wrongs. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So who in the world can accuse you even after you've been forgiven? No one. And then Paul asked one last question from our text here today. He asked a question in relation to our struggle. And then he asked a question in relation to our standing with Jesus. And then if that's not enough, the enemy of our soul will try to ask a question to get you to question your Savior. See, it's one thing to have it, oh, get your pen ready. Get your Twitter machine ready. Ready? It's one thing for you to have an incorrect view of yourself. But it's a dangerous thing to have an incorrect view of God. And if the enemy cannot get you to question yourself, he will certainly try to get you to question God. Your Savior. Jesus Christ. Paul asks this question in verse 34. He says this, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. Don't leave out that two-word phrase, for us. He was raised to life, not just for himself, for us. He died for us, was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Yes, I could have named this thing for us, but I didn't. Who is he that will condemn you? The beginning of this very chapter tells us there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who will condemn you? No one. No one. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is this. There's a difference be between 
and if you've heard this, bear with me. It's, it's still important. There's a difference between being convicted of our sin and facing condemnation for our sin. Okay? Being convicted of sin is this. It's that guilt that we feel for sin that we have yet to ask forgiveness for. That we have yet to ask forgiveness for. Unconfessed sin. If I am disobedient to God, then what happens? There is this vehicle by which the Holy Spirit uses this guilt feeling that goes along with my disobedience and my lack of faithfulness that is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the whole point of that is this. Here I am, here's God. Sin draws me from God. And so the conviction of the Holy Spirit draws me back towards God. That's a good thing. Condemnation is when I'm like this, and then the devil will say, remember that sin you did three years ago that you asked forgiveness for? Mmm, bad Phil. Boy, did you mess up. Boy, did you, did, did, did you hurt people with that? What kind of an example were you? How, how and, and, see where my hand's going? See, condemnation does not bring you closer to Jesus. In fact, God will never do anything that draws you away from him. Mm. That was so good. God will never do anything that draws you away from him. So who is he that condemns? It certainly is not God. And to be honest with you, If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God has set you free from the law of death. Are you hearing me today? See, Jesus' posture in regards to us is completely the opposite of a, quote, condemning God. And some of us think that God is like the Wizard of Oz, who dares come into the That's not him. And what happens, our picture of God gets distorted. Totally distorted. And so Paul, when he's talking about God here in this verse that we just read, Paul doesn't stop with saying, no one condemns you. He goes, and, and, and y'all just amend it, he goes into describing what Jesus is actually done and is doing. And whenever you get a distorted view of God, okay, whenever you get a view of God that goes against His Word, that tries to draw you away from God, there are three phrases from this verse I want you to remember. Number one, He died for me. He died for me. Don't you ever forget that. He died for you. And His whole motivation in doing that was not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of duty. It was out of love. Amen. He died for me. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at your worst, Jesus gave his best for you. He died for me. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. King James Bible quiz verse for you, folks. There you go. He loved me and gave himself for me. So if I ever feel unloved, if I ever feel that God doesn't care about me, I need to be reminded, oh, wait a minute, he died for me. And if he didn't love me, he wouldn't have died for me. And if he doesn't care for me, he wouldn't have died for me. Do you hear me today? So he says he died for me. Paul then says he was raised to life for me. These are the four me's uh, that are in this verse. He was raised to life for me. Why is this important? It's not just so you can get a holiday in the spring. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. Think of that. If Jesus had merely died and never raised from the dead, there'd be no point to our faith. And our sins would still sentence us to eternal punishment. Jesus was raised to life for us. This is so important that one of those uh, benchmark Bible verses that we quote a lot, Romans 10 verse 9, says this, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whenever your picture of God gets distorted, and whenever the enemy tries to distort your view of God, remember that he, Jesus, died for you, and Jesus was raised to life for you, but it doesn't stop there. See, for me, that would even be enough. That would be enough. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at this next one. He is pleading my case for me. Oh, my word. Are you kidding? So Jesus comes to earth as a human. That alone, what a sacrifice. The creator became creation, lived a sinless life, died taking on the penalty of sin upon himself for each and every one of us, died in our place, was raised to life, raised again and ascended to heaven. You would think that would be it. You'd think, okay, Jesus, you've done enough. Go to Disneyland. Take a break. Whatever you need to do. Well, don't go to Disney. But whatever you need to do, take a break. But he doesn't. The Bible says that he is interceding for us. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, if anyone does sin, and the last time I checked, that's all of us. If anyone does sin, a scripture, by the way, that's written to a church, to a bunch of Jesus followers. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Are you seeing this? 
So Jesus isn't even cut off from your life. He could be, and it would seem like he's done enough, but he chooses to interject himself into your life and plead my case to the Father when I have been less than faithful to him. Hebrews 7 verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Oh my word. The very things that the enemy tries to question to get you to question to get you to doubt your struggle, thinking that it's bigger than God. You're standing before God like you are somehow rejected by God. Or even God himself, your Savior. All those things are lies. Because who is he that is greater than God? No one. Who is he that condemns us? No one. And who is he? Who is he? Who is he? That will ignore you. That will reject you. That will say, I have no use for you. I'm done with you. Your grace has run out. Who is he? No one. No one. No one. A lot of our spiritual issues will originate from an incorrect view of God. And today, if the enemy of your soul is whispering or shouting lies about your struggle, your standing, or your Savior, folks, today is the day to draw a line in the sand and say, no one is bigger than my God. No one will cause me to question where I stand with my Savior. I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is. And nobody, nobody will condemn me. In fact, Jesus died for me. He was raised to life for me. And Jesus is praying for me right now. I refuse to believe the lies. I will know the truth. And the truth will set me free. Can you say amen? Give God praise. Hallelujah. 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 Jonathan, if you can help me, why don't we all stand? Can we do that? Has God touched you today? No one. No one. The accuser, (laughs) he'll do everything you can to shipwreck your faith. But maybe for the first time in a long time, child of God, you need to spiritually just say, I refuse to believe the lies anymore. I refuse. I refuse. I will not have this distorted view of God. I may not even have all this stuff figured out yet, but I refuse to believe the lies. By the way, you don't have to be an expert in this book to not believe the lies. Just know the truth. Know what this book says, but trust God. That's why we're here. We're here to encourage each other. We're here to say, God, I 
will follow you. I will not listen to the lies. I want us to bow our heads. I want to pray. Hallelujah. Jesus, it's not enough for us just to hear a bunch of verses if we don't apply them to our lives and our hearts. And so, God, I'm asking you now that your Holy Spirit would do an incredible work in making the word that we've heard today come alive in our hearts. With your head still bowed, with your eyes still closed, I have two questions to ask, and then I'm going to close. Number one, are you right with God today? Are you in a right relationship with Jesus today? And if not, the Lord is here to save you. The Lord is here to give you another chance. The Lord is here to start it over again. And you'll say, Pastor, I've been less than faithful to God. I've been disobedient. I've not been what I should be. And I need his forgiveness today. And I need his strength to serve him. And I won't embarrass you, I promise. But if that is you, I want to know whom to pray for. If that's you, could you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I want to pray for you today. Yes, yes, yes. Hands are going up. Are there others? I just need a new start. Yes, yes. I need a new start, Pastor. I need to get things right with God. We're going to pray a very specific prayer in just a few moments. My second question is this before I pray, is this. How many of you, you've been believing a lie? The enemy, and this happens to all of us, but the enemy has been whispering and accusing and distorting and lying to you. And some of that, You've taken in, and, and today, you just need to draw a line in the sand and say, no one, no one's going to accuse me. No one's going to condemn me. No one's bigger than my God. I, I refuse to believe the lies anymore. And you'll say, Pastor, I need help to know the truth and stop believing the lies. If that's you, slip your hand up and put it right back down. Hands are going up all over the place. Are there others? I need Jesus to help me to believe the truth and not the lies. Hallelujah. What I'm going to do, I'm going to pray. For those of us who need to ask for the Lord's forgiveness today, I'm going to pray a very specific prayer asking God to do that. But after that, I'm also going to pray for those that You've been exposed to the lies, and, and, and today you want to start believing the truth. And I want to give you a chance to get along with the Lord, maybe at your seat, maybe at this altar area, and just pray. Just pray and say, God, this is what I believe and I've fallen for, and now I need, Lord Jesus, for the truth to really fill my soul. I want you to pray those kinds of prayers before you leave here today, Okay? And don't leave until you're finished with God and God's finished with you here today. So together, let's, let's pray. Jesus, I ask you now that your Holy Spirit would touch those 
that are in this room and watching us online. God, that you would do an, an incredible work right now. And church, why don't you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I ask you, forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Give me a fresh start and help me to serve you and not myself. Give me the strength to live for you every day. And I thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name. And now, Lord God, I ask you that for those who have we believe the whispers of the enemy or maybe the shouting of the enemy. Lord, I ask you now that the truth would set us free. And God, we would know that no one is bigger than you. And no one is going to cause us to uh, question our standing with you. And no one is going to condemn us. In fact, Lord God, you died for us. You rose from the dead for us. God, you're pleading my case to the Father right now on our behalf. God, we will not question you. So Lord, help us to know the truth today. And God, I ask you that you would touch your people and help us to walk this thing out outside of this place. God, help us to walk this thing out on Monday as well as Sunday and the rest of the week. God, change us and do something great. And we'll thank you for what you do and we'll give you praise, Jesus. And it's your name that we pray all this. Amen. If you need to remain and pray, do so right now. If God's released you, you can consider yourself dismissed. God bless you. Walk this out, church. Walk this out.